Our scripture reading for today is from Genesis chapter 25, verse 19 through 34. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife, because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah his wife conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, the older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was sixty years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore his name was called Edom. Jacob said, Sell, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true, and it is given to us in love. Well, good morning. It's a beautiful fall day, nice cool breeze. Well, this fall, we are tracing God's redemptive and restorative story through the great fathers of our faith. Now, over the last four weeks, we have been looking at Father Abraham, and we were reminded that faith is a process, and we serve a faithful God. Now, this morning and over the next three weeks, we're going to turn our attention to Jacob. And as we look at Genesis 25 this morning, we see two things. First, we see the need of redemption. And then secondly, we see the Lord of redemption. Let me pray for us. Father, we come to you this morning. Our hearts are heavy over the loss of Jan. And yet, our hearts are hopeful knowing that Jan's with her father and all the saints, completely healed. And Lord, we come this morning, many of us heavy burdened with other things, be it rebellious children, relationships, marriages, jobs, COVID. We need you, Holy Spirit, to empower us to strengthen us, to renew us, to revive us. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, would you come 
Would you speak to us through your word? And would you use your word to encourage, to challenge, and to transform our hearts? And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. I encourage you, you can open your bulletins or you can open your Bible. And the first thing that I want us to consider as we look at Genesis 25 is the need of redemption. Now, just as a way of context, we left off last week in Genesis 22 where Abraham sacrificed, was going to sacrifice Isaac and God provided a ram. Now, in Genesis 23, the author tells us that the, at the age of 127, Sarah died. And because Abraham was a sojourner in the land of Canaan, he bought the only piece of property that he've ever, he's ever owned. It was for 400 shekels. He bought, he bought the oaks of Mamre so that he could bury Sarah in a cave there. And then in Genesis chapter 24, Abraham, recognizing that he was advanced in years, he didn't want his son Isaac marrying a Canaanite. So he sent his servant back to the land of Haran to find a suitable wife for Isaac. Now, after arriving in the land, the servant, he prayed to God. And he said to him, as I am standing by the string, spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city come to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, drink and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you've appointed for your servant Isaac. Very interesting prayer. One that I have no idea why he wanted her just not only to water, give him water, but to water his camels. But he came up with it. And God answered. Because at that well, the author tells us that a beautiful young woman by the name of Rebecca approached the caravan, caravan. And the servant asked her for a drink. And Rebecca gives him a drink. And then she went and gave water to the camels. And when the servant saw that Rebe what Rebecca had done, he thanked God and he invited Rebekah to return with him to Canaan so that Isaac might take her as his wife. Now that brings us to chapter 25 in Genesis. And in verses 1 through 18, we read that Abraham took another wife and she bore him other sons. And then at the age of 175 years old, Abraham breathed his last and died. And I love, I love how the text describes Abraham's life as full of years. The word full here connotes a life well lived, full of adventures, failures, successes, love, and most importantly, faith in God. I believe this is what the Lord said of Jan, that she had a full life, full of years. I hope this is what is said of me when I pass. And I hope it's what is said of all of you when you pass into the Heavenly Father's arms. Now look at verse 19. We learn that Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to be his wife. Now you can read that and not even think anything of it. But to be single and to be 40 was an anomaly in the ancient Near East. 
And for those of us who are single, like myself, I find great comfort in knowing that God provided a wife for him in his 40s. Especially since most men were married in their late teens or early 20s. And then look at verse 20. We learn that like Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah also struggled with infertility. But Isaac, because he had seen God provide a ram in order to save his own life, he prayed to God, asking him to provide a child. And in verse 21, the Lord granted his prayer and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Now, let me pause here just for a moment, because in these verses, we see an important biblical principle, and that is the Lord hears and answers the prayers of his people. So I wonder this morning, is there something or someone that you've been praying for, maybe even for 20, 30 or 40 years, and your prayer is still unanswered? If so, let Isaac's prayer and the truth that God hears and answers his prayer be an encouragement to you to continue to pray. There is no prayer that God does not hear. And there is no prayer that he does not answer. It might not be in our timing, and the answer might not be what we expect. But God hears the prayers of his children. Now as we move on in verse 22, God not only gave Rebekah one child, he gave her two. Rebecca was pregnant with twins. And as you might imagine, she was delighted to have twins. But again, in the ancient Near East, to even carry one child to term was a task because so many children died in the womb. And what we discover is that Rebecca, she was having a very difficult pregnancy. The children struggled together within her. And the word here for struggle in the Hebrew literally means that the twins' skulls were bashing against one another. Can you imagine what she must have felt as their skulls bashed against one another, jeopardizing their lives and causing Rebecca extreme pain? And so what does Rebecca do? She cries out to the Lord asking, why? Why is this happening to me? And in verse 23, the Lord gave her good news and he gave her bad news. The good news, he said, these children are going to survive. The bad news is that they're going to have strife with one another for most of their lives. Two nations are in your womb, Rebecca, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. So it's no surprise that even during delivery, Jacob was trying to pull Esau back into the womb so he could be the firstborn. Because he knew if he was the firstborn, he would have the birthright, which came with all the responsibilities and privileges. In verses 25 and 26, the first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. They named him Esau. I don't know if you're familiar with that 
the monsters. I always just think of Eddie Munster when I think of Esau, all covered with hair. And then afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob, which literally means heel grabber. And then in verse 27, we learn that these two young men were very different from one another. Esau, he epitomized the rugged ancient Near Eastern male. He was a skillful hunter. He was a man of the field. He loved being outside. And he had a hearty appetite. Jacob, on the other hand, was a quiet man. He didn't enjoy going outside. and Instead, he enjoyed hanging out at home. And he loved to cook. Now, as you can imagine, these differences between these brothers created tension between them. And if that was not enough to divide them apart, in verse 28, we learn that Isaac loved Esau because he ate game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Isaac and Rebekah were playing favorites. And as you parents know, favoritism in a family is a recipe for insecurity and sin in a family system. And we see this play itself out in Esau and Jacob. As a result of Isaac's favoritism, Esau grew up and he was entitled. He was selfish. He was impulsive. He valued all the wrong things. Biblically, he literally was a fool. And Jacob, because he was the second, and though he had his mother's favor, he didn't have his father's favor, he was deeply insecure and desperately wanted to have Isaac's favor. And so he became a schemer, and he was deceptive. And we see this depravity on full display in this interaction in verses 29 through 34. Jacob is doing what Jacob does. He's in the tent. He's cooking stew. Esau's doing what he does. He's been out in the field. And Esau comes in and he's famished. He's exhausted. And so in verse 30, Esau says to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew. Now Esau's desires are so primal he doesn't even know what type of stew it is. He just wants to eat. Very much like in the Little Shop of Horrors. Um, when the monster cries out to Seymour, feed me. Here Esau is saying to Jacob, feed me, Jacob. And Jacob, always the opportunist, always scheming, sees this as a perfect opportunity to take advantage of Esau's need for instant gratification. And so what does he say to Esau? He says, sell me your birthright now. And Esau's response demonstrates how much he values all the wrong things as he says to Jacob, I'm about to die. Of what use is my birthright to me? And Jacob at that point, I think he knew he had Esau. And he said, swear to me now. Give me your birthright now. 
And you can have all the stew that you want. And Esau says, sold. The schemer gets the birthright in his dad's favor. The entitled and impulsive Esau gets his stomach filled with red stew. In this story, we see how both sons are lost. And they're in desperate need of redemption. But thankfully, this isn't the end of the story. Because the second thing we see in our passage this morning is the Lord of Redemption. Now, full disclosure, over the past several weeks, as I've been reading not only this passage, but reading all the way through Jacob's life, if you read all the way through, Jacob is a mess. And he continues to deceive again and again and again. And literally, he changes at the very end of his life when he loses his wife, Rachel. And as I was reading through that and talking to Ben Milner as we've been working on these sermons together, I was asking Ben, I was like, how? How in the world? Why would God choose someone so deceptive, so much of a schemer, really such a pathetic person with no moral compass to be the, the promised child and actually to name him Israel, which was the nation that God blessed? And Ben just looked at me and just simply said, we serve a redemptive God. Look back at verse 23. The firstborn always received the birthright with all the responsibilities and privileges. But in God's kingdom, we see he reverses the progenitor. In this verse, the Lord answers Rebekah's prayer. Two nations are in your womb, Rebekah, and two peoples from within shall be divided. The one shall be, the, be stronger than the other, meaning Esau is going to be stronger than Jacob. The older Esau shall serve the younger. Do you see the reversal that's taking place here? In God's kingdom, the second son becomes the first. It's a cultural reversal. In God's kingdom, there's also a moral reversal. God is not picking Jacob because he's good. We just spent a lot of time demonstrating how broken and sinful he is. Tim Keller says Jacob is the worst character in the book of Genesis. Esau, he epitomizes what the world, the empire says men should be. We're to be strong, hunter-gatherers, skillful, and gifted. But in God's kingdom, he turns all of this upside down. And he chooses what the world or the empire says is weak. A man who chooses to stay at home, a man who would rather cook than go and hunt, a man who is deeply flawed. He chooses him to lead his rebellion. In God's kingdom, he chooses the weak and lowly things of the world to shame the wise. He chooses the last and sends them to the front of the line. Jesus says in Luke 19, verse 10, For the Son of Man came to seek 
and save the lost. We serve a God who is reckless in His love and grace poured out to His children. We serve a Savior who would rather spend time with sinners than spend time with religious people. And what we see in this passage is Jacob, the schemer, becomes Israel, the striver with God. Peter, the impulsive denier, becomes the rock. Paul, the xenophobic Pharisee, becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. Now the question for all of us this morning is what about you? Do you see that the darkest part of your story becomes your spiritual gift? Do you see that your wounds can become healing agents in our world? Do you see that God can use someone as messed up as me and you to help build his kingdom? And what might the Lord be reversing in your life this morning? I know for me, my perfectionism, my people-pleasing, my critical spirit, my fear and anxiety, and all my experiences of pain and suffering, the Lord is using, working in, reversing, transforming, so that I might have the privilege to serve here at Hope Chapel. And at this table, we see the greatest reversal of all. A humble carpenter is the mighty God. The crucified traitor is the resurrected Savior. Our greatest sin, our deepest redemption. He makes his blessings flow out of the horror of Golgotha. And so if you'll stand with me.